We've been asking ourselves what would happen if the entire group shifted from slave to child. And um, another way of putting it is what would a group look like? What would a church, an organization, a team look like if it was a team of grace or a graceful community? What if there was a community of people that lived with each other and before the world like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit live within themselves. It would be a community of grace. And so we might know specifically what that means. I identified last week six characteristics of that that come from the works of Paul. They would accept one another, encourage one another, teach one another. They would confess and forgive their sins to with one another. They would serve or they would carry one another's burdens. And then finally, they would pray for one another. I think it's important as we start thinking about this again this week that we get the big picture here. The big picture is not that we would have a family that does these things. It's not that we would have a team or a community that live together really well like the Trinity. The big picture is that we would do this so that the world may be influenced. Remember, the call of Abraham was, I will make you a great nation, and then I will bless the world through you. So the big picture is never what God is just doing for us and in us. It's what God is doing with us and through us for the people that are not yet part of us. I'll say it. Amen. So if you look at the condition that the world is in and then you contrast each one of these ways, you will see a witness that is countercultural to the world. So when the world becomes more divided, more prejudiced, more discriminatory, When the world can only condemn prejudice, but they cannot design a solution that doesn't make victims out of somebody else. When the world is tired of its own low skies and short horizons, we will accept one another. We will be devoted to one another. We will move toward one another. And so we will condemn what is wrong in the world, not by shouting at it, but by quietly and faithfully living out a counter-narrative. Now are you with me? So when the world becomes hypercritical, when they become hyper-competitive, when people look only after their own interests, when they rack up huge assets, and hoard things to themselves. We will be a community that builds other people up. We will be a community that succeeds when other people succeed. You know how to do this. You've got kids. 
When you have children, you grow up. Well, you're supposed to. You suddenly realize that your greatest joy as a parent is now through somebody else. And so you edify them. And you succeed when they succeed. You are a quiet resistance to the ways of the world. When the world becomes more polarized in its worldviews, when people become removed from society because of their education, when education uh, becomes too expensive so that everyone can learn, or when educated people move off from the mainland, we will be a community that teaches one another. We will learn from one another, whether they have a degree or not. When society becomes less self-aware, when they become addicted in things and they cannot get out of it, when they defend themselves, we will quietly confess our sins one to another. When society uses its talents and abilities to make fortunes for itself and then keep those things to themselves. And when others in society withdraw from people that are in distress, we will move in. We will rush in when other people rush out. And when society feels more and more estranged from God, when they are spiritual but not religious, when they cannot articulate anything of substance before a sovereign God, we will quietly and consistently pray for one another so that our sins might be forgiven and our bodies might be healed. Now, let me say this again. We are these things not because God is trying to make in us just a tight little society, but so that God can bless the world through us. We become an alternative society, a social option, a third race, a new humanity, a colony of heaven in a wilderness, an island of life in a sea of death. There, have I said it enough? There's one other preliminary. These are preliminary thoughts, by the way is that when I look at these things, I have, a, uh, I have a deep ambivalence. I grew up in the church. How many of you did? So I have uh, what my friend Bud Bence calls a lover's quarrel with the church. I love it. I hate it. Nothing inspires me more Nothing frustrates me more. So I am irresistibly drawn into the church, and yet I come fighting and swinging. I could put it in more visceral terms. Was it Augustine who said, 
The church is my mother, the church is a whore. I have felt that ambivalence deep inside. And this is because I am made in the image of a triune God who is all of these things. And yet I live among people like myself who are not all of these things. And so while I want these things, I cannot find these things. And I get frustrated and I become critical. And then I stand outside the thing that I love and I critique it. And when I can't take it anymore, I just walk away. And I have now described the way that people engage your groups and your teams. They come to work for you the first day and they hope they find this because it's stamped on their souls by the triune God. And when they don't find it, they stay outside of your team and they become critical of it. And they can do that for a year or two and then they just become disinherited and they leave. And what I am learning from God is that the only way to find these things in any family or community is to stop looking for them. When you stop looking for them and you start bringing them, they appear. If you're waiting for the church to become these things for you, you will not find it. This is a perichoretic one another society, which means it begins by what we give away, not by what we find out there for ourselves. So we have to learn how to commit to institutions that are imperfect and messy and flawed and they contradict everything that we believe in we cannot stand outside of them we cannot become critical we must get into the center of them and live out another narrative now are you with me it's time now for the sermon <laughs> that leads us directly into what it means to accept one another. We said last week that there was uh, in the center of this community, in the center, a community like this uh, that is a one another community. It's a community where people today, they accept one another. What Paul said in Ephesians or in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, listen to the words. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. He implies that when we come into Christ, it's another kind of acceptance. There is a way of accepting one another that is bigger and more aggressive than all of the talk of tolerance today. And it is the way that Christ accepted you. So it's not that we don't want tolerance. We love it when it's there. It's just not enough 
for a Christian organization. We want something more. When an organization or a family or a team learns to accept one another, everybody in it feels seen and heard. It becomes open to people that are outside of it. It becomes porous. And so it becomes uh, chaotic and unmanageable and administrators hate it. But the beauty of it is it becomes open. It's never finished or fixed. So anybody that is not in this accepting community can be in it and they can affect its destiny as much as the dude who runs it because it's open sourced. The members in it feel safe. And because its members are safe, they're transparent. They don't have to put on to say, how many of you have at one time in your life said, um, I feel like I don't fit at college church. Let me see your hand. Don't be afraid. Let me see your hand. Really? I'll join you. Isn't that weird? Every organization has layers. And you always feel like you're out here or here. You never feel like you're here. And so whenever the organization or the team gets together, you feel like you've got to put something on to be what you are not because you do not feel that you are in what C.S. Lewis called the inner ring. And so you become artificial. And whenever you're afraid, you don't take risks. And whenever you don't take risks, you don't invent anything. And whenever you don't invent anything, you remain exactly like you are. The alternative to an accepting community then is a closed community, which will a few years from now be a stuck community because it is left with only the ideas of the people inside the inner ring. The cure for this, says Paul, is humility. Listen to what he says. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Rather, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God and be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be kind and compassionate to one another. <laughs> Make room for one another without grumbling. The obstacle 
are walls. And behind every wall is pride. I came out here this morning convinced that I was going to preach a sermon against prejudice. I've wanted to do that for a long time. I've done it in the past, and I wanted to do it again. So I had both barrels loaded. But the more I thought about it, I noticed that Paul never mentioned prejudice. Because prejudice is a symptom of pride. Status, privilege, distinctions are symptoms of pride. And sometimes I tell myself that I am humble just because I know how much I hate pride in other people. So I look for ways that I express humility. I do not look for ways that I still express pride. So this week I found a few. Here they are. When I am proud, I become self-absorbed. I think about myself more than anybody else in the room. Even when something else in the room is more important, I still think that my story is the most interesting story out there. Not only that, but when I am proud, I become opinionated. I talk over people. I shout them down. I smile in dismissive ways while they're talking because I think I have information they don't have. I'm experienced. I'm educated. I'm old. I've been around. And so I become inflexible. I am not open to new ideas because I've done this long enough. I know how everything works. And when I become proud, and this is the worst symptom of all, I wrap it in religion. I make it a cause. I make my cause, my justice, my case, my argument, God's argument. It becomes almost a sanctimonious view of myself and the other person. But it is so subtle that I cannot feel it rising within me until suddenly, in one signature moment, there it is. Think for a moment what an organization, family, teams, group, or church looks like when there is pride. It becomes encased within itself, shut off to people that are outside of it. It becomes consumed with its own life, self-perpetuating. It becomes full of its own arguments, its own truth, and then it wraps this in the sanctimonious language 
makes it sound almost as if it's doing this for God. Now it is impenetrable from the outside. In Jesus' day, this was happening all over the place. Jesus' society was layered. There were in the center of society the rulers. This was about one or two percent of the people with all the power, most of the money. Just outside of them were what was called the retainers. These were people that worked for the government. They were people that owned land, rich farmers. They would hire day laborers. Outside of them was the working class. It was about 75, 80 percent of all people. They were day laborers. They were artisans. They were carpenters. Jesus' daddy was in this third ring. Outside of them were the poor, the disenfranchised, the unemployed. And outside of them were the expendables, the former criminals, people with debilitating diseases, people whose occupations were forbidden or not accepted by Jews. And what Jesus did when he came, people, was to penetrate into the center of all of these changes. And the way that he did it was he refused to see people from a human point of view. He saw them only from God's point of view. So all previous distinctives were broken down when Jesus started talking. He, he did not tell people on the margins to rush into the center. He told people in the center to go out to the margins. He told people, you can't get in from the outside. You can only get out from the inside. So if you're in power, if you're in privilege, if you're the majority, you have to stop defending yourself from people that want what you have and start giving power and status and privilege away. He formed a new society that was neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. It was one, he said, in Christ. Jesus said, in him you are chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the creation of the world, you were called by him to be distinct. It was in him that you've been redeemed and forgiven by the blood. It is in him that the wall of hostility has been torn down and he has created in himself one new person out of the two, thus making peace. Mm. But you understand this calls for a fundamental change in our identity. We have to move from being someone who is on the outside or inside, from defining ourselves primarily as that person who is also a Christian, to a new identity. 
Now, I am neither black, nor white, nor Hispanic, nor Asian. I am not working class. I am not rich. I am not powerful or a leader. I am chosen. to be holy and blameless in his sight. In him, I am redeemed. I am a new man. All other classifications, listen closely, because you'll email me. All other classifications are real but they are secondary to the first classification. I am a child of God. And so is every other person redeemed by him. Bonhoeffer put it best. Our union is in Christ and through Christ. We have no greater union than that. Take a moment and look at these circles and ask yourself, what are the barriers today in your life? When I was a young man, I grew up um, with deep prejudices toward uh, people of other ethnicities. I remember driving through Detroit and, and having people tell me, boy, take a look at these buildings. It was the black people that burned these buildings. They didn't tell me it was because by that time they were angry and frustrated that they'd been left out. They didn't tell me it was because law enforcement was all the way back then victimizing them. They just said, this is what caused the riots. Are you hearing this? I got the narrative, man. I grew up in the narrative. So while I've told other people before, um, I, I may still have prejudice in me, but if you knew where I started, I think you'd be pleased with how far I've come. But then I found, as I got older, other prejudices. They're ideological. Now the walls are not between me and people of different color. They are between me and people with different views. Now the walls are political. Between my opinion and their opinion. Between what they want for the country and I want for the country. Now the walls are generational. Because as I get older, I think I know what I want. And I'm tired of sometimes 20-something saying, well, why don't we try this? I speak to everybody over 50. Well, it's because we tried that. 
And it didn't work. And so now I don't even let it in. The walls are lifestyle. I think I know a sustainable lifestyle. And when people are not practicing one, I can become cold and insensitive and think they get what they deserve. Someday they'll figure it out. You see what I mean? I have found other ways to raise walls inside. So here's what I suggest. I suggest that when a person is new in Jesus Christ, three things are true. Hang on, I'm almost done. I know you're looking. One is they have a right view of themselves. Two is they have an abiding concern for other people. And three, they're open to new ideas. My prejudices began to come down when I began to see who I was in Jesus Christ because on that day I realized that's who you are in Jesus Christ, whatever else you may be. And if Christ has done in you what he's done in me, then we're one. I'll fight for you, and I'll take one for you, as I expect you will for me. But it's this deal with other people that sometimes get in the way and so to use Paul's language, let me tell you how we might practice this. Paul said, forbear one another. Let me translate that. Put up with one another. Tolerate one another. Deal with one another. Their annoyances are not going to go... A few years ago, it was about 7.30 in the morning and I was praying to the Lord, complaining about people that were annoying me. You ever do that? <laughs> Bible said, pray for your enemies. I thought, why not? In the middle of that prayer, I had a mind for someone that was not my enemy. Actually, it was a lady in our church. She had flown out west to be with her mother. I think it was her sister, rather, who was, I understand, dying. I thought, I'm gonna stop this kind of a rant and just pray for this lady. So I did. Then I picked up my phone and I sent her a text. I said, I was just praying for you today. I love you. I love your family. I hope everything works out well. And then I went back to my enemies. <laughs> and halfway through my prayer for my enemies, it occurred to me that um, if I sent a text to somebody on the West Coast at 7.30 in the morning, It was 4.30 in the morning their time. And that's when it occurred to me that sometimes I am the annoying person. <laughs> one way to forbear one another is to do a hard assessment of the ways in which you, believe it or not, Annoy people. Really. 
It's to ask people who know you, what am I doing that annoys you? You won't tell me because you're nice, but what bugs you every time I do that? Now, the point is not to fix it all up and become legalistic. It is to become self-aware. Paul said, make room for one another. Allow other people to penetrate your schedule. Let them into your life. Let them at your table. A month ago, I was talking with Joe Ruder in the church. I said, how'd Thanksgiving go? He said, well, it went like it usually went. Got home for Thanksgiving and realized the table was set and there was one or two extra seats. I said, what is that for? He said, because ever since I was a child, whenever there was Thanksgiving, the table was open. What? My parents always set an extra seat and dish at the table in case people showed up. People showed up at your house on Thanksgiving? He said, yes, sometimes my folks invited them and sometimes they didn't. They just knocked and said, I heard there's food here. I learned, he said, growing up to always have an open table. I thought to myself, I can't do that. I haven't done that well. I talked with Gary out one day. He says he goes into Lowe's and a man yells across the aisle and says, Gary, um, I found out that I, I got cancer. Gary was on a tight schedule. He had to get home. Connie was waiting for him. And if he would have done what I would have done, he would have been thinking to himself, how do I hurry up this conversation? But what he said was, you know, I'm on a tight schedule. I have to get home. But would you do me a favor? He said, would you give me an hour before, uh, before you come? Because I got to get something to eat. But an hour from now, I'd like you to drive out to my house. This is where I live. And I want to invite you in. I want you to sit at the table and I want you to tell me all that you want to tell me now. And that's what he did. Dude drove out to his house one night, seven, eight o'clock at night and sat there for more than an hour talking about his life. And I thought to myself, my schedule is so packed and so crammed that if somebody stops me in aisle six at Lowe's, I am already tabulating what this is going to cost me on Saturday. I suspect I'm not alone in an overworked, hyperactive culture like this one. Part of accepting one another is accepting making room for their stuff. Move toward one another. Because of Jesus, when this service is over, you will go into the sanctuary and you will not look for the easiest person to talk to. I'll say that differently. Because of Jesus, you will look for people who trail along the walls, and you will initiate the conversation. You say, I'm an introvert. Well, do that at home. This is church. <laughs> when you see people that are not blending, move in that direction. Start the conversation. Put up with the awkwardness. Be aggressive. Look at them. If your phone dings, 
Don't look at it. Look them in the eye and wonder what it must be like for them to be them in this moment and be fully present in that moment and give them words of grace. And now we're going to preach it. Find people that are not like you. They have different color. They have different gender. They have different sexualities. They have different opinions and different views. And let them into your circle. Some years ago, after World War II, two buddies had a friend died in the war. They wanted to bury him inside of a Catholic cemetery. They could not because he was not Catholic. They went to the priest and they begged the priest, could he make a variance? Could he, could he change the policy? Could, could he make room in a Catholic cemetery for their buddy? The priest said, as they left, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. He said, if you want, you can bury your friend just outside the fence. It's pretty well marked. So that's what they did. They went on the other side of the fence, they dug a hole and they buried their buddy and then they went home. They came back the next morning to pay their last respects to the grave and they couldn't find it. The grave was gone. So they went back to the priest and they said, I, I think you're gonna to need to help us even though our friend was not buried inside your cemetery, we cannot find his body. Do you have any idea what happened to him? Priest said, I know exactly what happened to him. He said, after you left my company last night, I was up all night. I spent the first three or four hours feeling sick about what I told you. And then I spent the next three or four hours moving the fence. We all got fences and they are guarded by opinions and dogma, traditions in theology. The call this morning is to move the fence. There are people that want in. We have to find a way to let them in.